Hey, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the uh, story of lost things, right? You've got a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. We're going to take a look at that. If you're visiting this morning, we're in a series called Home for Christmas. And uh, it's a series we've been going through. And the first one uh, was Home for Christmas. And then uh, last week we uh, walked through the theme, There's No Place Like Home, and just talked about why Jesus was so desperate to get people to come back with him because there's no place like his home and that he's preparing a room for us. And then um, this week we're going to talk about the fact that you may want to go home, but going home ain't always easy. Any of you ever have one of those journeys trying to get back home? It didn't turn out the way you thought. And, uh, and so we're going to walk through that this morning to get us uh, thinking along those lines. I wanted to use this quote uh, by Augustine. If you walk in my room, I have lots of quotes pinned up. And this one's up by my, on my wall by my computer. And it says this, You never go away from us, and yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, stir us up, call us back, kindle us and seize us. Be our fire, our sweetness. Let us love, let us run. You know, in that line there, you never go away from us, and yet we have difficulty returning to you. It's always kind of captured my, my thinking because I've found that to be true. I've found that to be very true in my own life, and I've found that to be very true in others' lives, is that there may be a desire to get back to the place where I'm supposed to be, but it's a lot uh, easier to think about it than to actually get there. And uh, we want to look at that a little bit this morning. As I watch the struggles of my own self and other people, I often find myself pondering, why is it so hard for them, us, to find God? You ever wrestle with that, right? And this is not just for unbelievers. Many who are believers have the same struggle. Where is God? Why don't I hear Him? Why don't I experience peace? Joy, I'm experiencing a lot of emotions. Joy sure isn't one of them, right? You ever been in that spot before, right? Um, So to set the stage this morning, we're going to take a walk through Luke 15. But before we do that, let's pray together, all right? Let's give the service to the Lord. Lord Jesus, resurrected Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. May you be merciful to us this morning and not hold our sins and iniquities against us. We know they're over our head. My prayer this morning would be for our rest. Rest in our minds, rest in our hearts, rest in our souls. We live in a tumultuous culture that never stops, goes 24-7, 365. As a result of gathering together this morning, may we find our hearts leaning, moving towards you rather than away from you. Grant us your peace. And may the rest that only your Holy Spirit brings be gifted to us this morning. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, take your Bibles and let's turn there. Um, To start, before we get into that chapter, I want to give you another quote. This is by Blase Pascal. And uh, Blase said this, The knowledge of God is very far from the love of Him. Isn't that a brilliant take? The knowledge of God is very far from from the love of him. This I think this phrase is just a brilliant distillation of much of what Jesus taught. And to illustrate this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, the proverb most historically known as the story of the prodigal sons, but I'm going to change it this morning and we're going to call it the prodigal sons. 
All right, we're going to look at both brothers this morning and, and take a peek together. So if you've got it, I'm reading out of ESV. We're starting in verse 11, and it reads like this. And he said, this is Jesus, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, another translation, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the second son, the oldest son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a kid goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And then he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's a historic parable. It's one we know very well. We've heard it uh, probably thousands of times in Sunday school and VBS and different church sermons and that kind of stuff. A couple things that to just look at. I want to point out here in the story, both sons knew the father. All right? Both of them had a relationship. They, they knew their dad. Secondly, both had an inheritance. In this case, older son always got double portion, so the father was going to divide his property. The youngest son would have gotten a third. The older son would have had two-thirds. So the older son still had a lot in terms of what would come his way. But you can tell he's not happy with his younger brother, and he's certainly not happy with the way the younger brother has blown the family inheritance. And so, but they both had an inheritance. But I also want to point this out. They both had a vacuum. Okay? They had a heart gap in their relationship with their father. Uh, quoting Blase Pascal again, he says this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing 
but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. Many times you hear about people trying to fill the gap and they dump everything they can in the gap to try and fill it. And it's kind of like salt water. The more you dump in, the thirstier you get. Right? Because that gap in our hearts was made only for one thing and only one thing only. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the Holy Spirit and filling that gap in our hearts. But both of these sons chose not to fill the gap with the relationship with their dad. The youngest obviously took the inheritance, right? He tried to fill it from a rebellion standpoint. Uh, He wanted to get as far away from his father as possible. And so he grabbed the loot and boogied. It says he went off to a distant country. Another translation says a far away country. In other words, like out of town, like get away. Like, I don't want your influence anymore. I don't want your rules anymore. I don't want you telling me wise things anymore. I just want out of here. I want to do it myself, Dad. Right? And so he boogies and bolts and goes. He filled his life with wild living, wrong friends, wrong choices, and uh, reaped the obvious consequences. The oldest son also tried to fill it from a rebellion position, but very differently. He was in close proximity to his father. But notice he wasn't close in heart. Right? He was right there. He was right next door. He looked at his younger brother and said, You idiot. Right? You ever done that with your brothers or sisters? You idiot. Right? Just what a doorknob. And, uh, and you look and go, I am so much wiser. And that's what the older son was doing. Going, that dude's an idiot. I, on the other hand, am wise. I, yeah, I got a gap. But it's not a noticeable gap. It's not one that anybody else could see. And I'm doing all the right things so nobody can find fault with me and be exposed the way my dumb younger brother did. This brother also tried to fill the gap with friends. Notice he said, you have not given me and my friends. Notice that issue there is that he also identified with his friends closer than he did with his father. And both would have what I would call a rest issue. It didn't matter where they were. Neither one was at rest in their heart. Neither one felt comfortable. Neither one was at peace in their relationship with their dad. Didn't matter if he was close. Didn't matter if they were far away. Both of them had a rest issue. And as a result, in Jesus telling this story, both of them had to come home. Right? Even though the older brother didn't have very much distance to travel, he was no more home than the younger brother. And so they both needed to come home. And this morning what I want to suggest is that even though their journeys are different, both had to come home and for both of them it wasn't easy. Have you ever done the repentance route and actually tried to come home to the Father heart of God? It's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to do it. Right? Not that simple. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. It's out of his book, The Confessions. Our hearts are restless. And they are restless. If there was any one word to put to our culture, wouldn't it be restless? dashing here and there 24-7, never stopping, trying to pack as much in as we can possibly pack, and yet we're strangely restless, not at peace. Just moving all the time. It's interesting that the way Jesus, tell, that Jesus actually tells the story because 
in the story, it doesn't go the way you'd think. Now, because we know the story, it goes the way we think, but if you had first heard this story, you would have thought he would applaud the older son and, and actually chastise the younger son, but maybe still let him back home. And in this case, uh, the young, it's the younger son who actually finds reconciliation and restoration. It's the oldest son who's having the hardest time closing the gap. He has knowledge. He has service. He's diligent. But he doesn't have, what he doesn't have is relationship. Now, I want to suggest this morning as we're thinking, and you're saying, which, who are we in this parable? Most of us are not the youngest son this morning. Many of us once were the youngest son. Right? We no longer are. Most of us fit the part of the oldest son this morning. So if you're asking which side of the parable should you be leaning towards and thinking through, I want us to be thinking in the oldest son position. Those of us who do it right, those of us who are diligent, those of us who keep the rules, those of us who uh, make sure we act honorably. Right? Nothing wrong with those things, by the way. But notice what's missing. The first love's missing. The heart issue is missing with the father. Going back to the uh, Augustine quote, you never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Why is it so difficult to return? You know, there's walls in the oldest son. You can hear it. You can hear him in his language. Go back, look at that again. First thing, notice that he calls a servant to assess the situation rather than going directly to his father. Right? He wants to find out and scope it out before he has to deal with them. You ever done that? Gone to a bunch of friends because you want to know what they think before you go and pray about it? Right? Uh, I better check this out first. I'm not sure how this will go, so I better check with a few posse members and see how it works. Secondly, notice he's instantly angry. Woof! I mean, I'll bet you the servant doesn't even get half the report out and he's just ticked. It doesn't take much to flare his anger because it's always been there. It's been covered up with a lot of obedient, responsible things, but it isn't far below the surface and it doesn't take much. If you tip the jar, it doesn't take much for it to spill out. And it lights up. He is hacked. And he won't go in. Notice how he thinks about his father, what he's really instantly reacting My father's an idiot. How dare he? If he had half a brain, he would know how to handle this situation better than to embrace my younger brother, who shamed our whole family. You can just you can feel it roll out of the roll out of the text. How dare he? Notice again, the father comes out. What did the father do with the youngest son? Says he saw him while he was still a long way off, and he ran towards him. What does he do with the older son? He hears his older son is angry outside. He comes to him. It's the heart of the father. Okay? He comes out. He meets him. The oldest is resentful. Everything that he has to do, if you look at the list he puts down there, notice it's a have to, not a get to. He's not appreciative. He's not like, you know, Dad, it's been great to serve you. Uh... You don't get any of that kind of language. What do you get? It has been miserable in your service. That's what he's really saying. He's saying uh, the role's been burdensome. 
It's been joyless, and he, the Father, has not appropriately rewarded he, the Son, for his efforts. He's going, are you kidding me? All I've done for you, and you reward him? You didn't even give me and my friends a goat that we could celebrate. Can you sense that in there? You ever said that to God? You haven't given me what I wanted? I can't even celebrate with my friends? And the other thing he's enraged about, his younger bro- that stinking younger brother, that potlicker. If you're oldest, you know how that feels, right? He's gotten off scot-free. Not only has he gotten off scot-free, but they're celebrating him. Well, then I might as well just go do the same things. Right? Do you ever hear people say, what good has it been being good? The one who sinned, they're getting forgiven anyways. I might as well go and sin too. Right? Teenagers often use this, right? Mom and dad, everybody's doing it. Right? Why can't I go do what they're doing? What's the difference? It all comes out the same in the end anyways. Everybody's forgiven. What difference does it make? The older son's using that argument. And this is just adding injury to insult. All right? So no, he's not going in. Not over his dead body is he going in. Well, the question then is, what's the result? Well, the result is, is he, is he physically far from his father at this moment? No, they're right there talking to each other, right? But relationally, he's a long way away, right? There's a huge gap there. There's a huge difference. It's not really even a relationship. The father's trying to close the gap, but the son won't let him. Okay? You ever done this to God? Right? I want you, but this is all the farther you get in. Right? We give those kind of weird signals. Here's the assessment. What's the difference? I want to suggest the difference was the youngest son, because of what he went through, was actually able to see his sin. And although it wasn't easy, he made his way back and repented. He actually could see what he had done. The oldest son... Oh, and and just a note on this... uh, so I get up early on Sunday mornings. It's kind of I like Sunday mornings. It's a great time for me because nobody else is up. And when you drive to church at five in the morning, there's nobody on the road, and you can kind of drive wherever you want, and it's great. And um, and, and what ticks me off the worst at, at that is I I want to just tootle into church and take my time, and and then invariably somebody pulls out from somewhere, and there's a set of headlights in my back window. And I'm like, get up, get, really? There's one car on the road that has to be behind me? So actually, I now I just pull off, I let them by me, and then I tootle back and go back. But this morning, I was up, and I went out, and it, you know, it was pretty cold this morning, and uh, we had forgotten to deposit a check that had given us for a reimbursement thing, and so I saw it, and so I stopped at the bank right up here on 164th at the BECU. You know, there's, there's the Starbucks, and then the Cordoba, and then the Subway, and then the BECU, right, right there. And so I pull in there, and I... I'm going to go into the bank, and so I walk into the bank, and when I'm coming around the corner, I see this guy sitting in a chair. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's a guy doing sitting in a chair at 5 in the morning? So I pull in the bank, and when I go in a bank, I always look all around, right? I don't just assume. And so I kind of looked at the guy, and I said, oh, okay, he's not doing anything. So went in the bank, deposit our check, came back out, and I thought, man, that dude has got to be stinking cold. If he's been out there all night, he's got to be freezing. And so I drove by and I just said, man, Lord, uh, you know, I hope that guy finds a place. And then the Lord nailed me 
slayed me, if you've ever had this happen, with what good is it if you have the world's goods and you see your neighbor in need and you say, go be warm and filled. Literally be warm and filled on a freezing morning. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Okay. So I parked the car and I, I looked through my wallet and believe it or not, my daughters had not raided my wallet this time. I actually had money in there. It was fantastic. All three of them are home. I had money. I was like, ah! And so I pulled some out and I turned the car back around. I was cutting across the Albertsons parking lot because there's no cars. You can do that. And so I had to turn around. I come back, the guy pull up. And you can see as I pull into the slot to park, he's kind of looking at me with bug eyes like, all right, what's this dude doing right? I saw him leave. Now he's back. Well, you know. And so I get out and I said, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, oh, okay. And I said, uh, you been out here all night? He says, yeah. I said, you kind of cold? He says, well, not too bad. And I'm looking, I'm going, huh, nice try. And um, I said, well, hey, here's some. Here's some money. He goes, oh, get, get a hot coffee. And he said, oh, thanks, man. I said, hey, uh, you know, that's, that's from Jesus, okay? And uh, he says, oh. He says, I know Jesus. I said, really? You do? He says, yeah. He said, I know I'm going to heaven too. He says, it's been a long road. It's not been pretty. But he says, I know who the Lord is. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor in the area. I'm, I'm just going to church to set things up. And I said, uh, I said, you know, but my real title, I'm a Jesus person. So I know him too. And I said, uh, and so I said, so where's home? Right? I always have that question. Where's home? And he says, what? And I said, I no, no, I know you don't have a home. I know you're homeless, but where's home growing up? He said, oh, Wisconsin. Right? <laughs> I said, really? You're kidding me. He says, no. I said, where in Wisconsin? He says, Janesville. I said, oh, Janesville. My uncle used to live there. He, my uncle Earl, he worked in the GM plant. He says, oh, my mom and dad worked at that same plant. I said, you're kidding. We start talking. I said, I grew up in Sugarbush. He said, never heard of it. <laughs> I said, well, it's a town east of Green Bay. I said, went to Luxembourg, Casco. I said, oh, he said, I've heard of that before. And so here I'm talking to my homeless buddy. I'm, think, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm talking about the prodigal son this morning. Here he is sitting in front of me, and he's found his way back to Jesus. Wow, you got to be kidding. That's the best 12 bucks I ever spent on a person. I was like a living illustration at five in the morning. What are the odds of that? Right? And so, you know, the prodigals, they find their way back. Jesus is looking for them too. But the problem with the oldest son is he couldn't, he couldn't see his son. And so the question, he couldn't see his sin. And so the question this morning is, is there hope for the oldest son? Right? Is there hope for one who's stuck in his um, kind of position? I want to say, yes, I believe there is. And to do that, I'd like to tell you a story this morning of my friends uh, Jeff and Lori Nemus. Let me click to my picture here. This is my friends Jeff and Lori Nemus. Some of you know them and uh, they are beloved friends. Jeff and Lori um, were uh, kids in my youth group. As a matter of fact, uh, Susan, David and Susan Weed were here this morning and uh, Lori was the one who invited uh, Susan Weed to our youth group. She said, hey, come to youth group. Uh, Susan had been telling her that her Lutheran youth group wasn't doing it for her. And she said, hey, we got this brand new crazy youth guy at our church. Why don't you come? It's a lot of fun. And so Susan Weed walked in and walked into the youth group. And, uh, and there's a long story there, but you know they're tied in here. And that's quite a trail with Jesus through that whole thing. So, uh, but Jeff and Lori are very accomplished people. Okay, uh, they are both former missionaries. Uh, Lori served in Ghana. Jeff served in the Soviet Union. 
All right, and uh, they've done a number of things that way. They ha- Jeff has been uh, involved in the pastorate. They have pastored several churches. Uh, they have been in different roles in different churches. Uh, he's been the head guy in several. And so the latest one was in Trout Lake, Montana, which is just a gorgeous place in a mountain valley if you've ever been there. And, uh, and so uh, they are significant players, but through some circumstances... Uh, in their life, they found themselves in the oldest son role. And I asked Jeff if I could have permission to tell the story. And he said, Steve, absolutely. He said, if anybody can benefit from our mistakes, that would be fantastic. And so just give you a quick background. They, um, they have two sons of their own. And then uh, a couple years ago, they adopted, well, foster cared and then adopted uh, three, uh, a pack of three kids. It's brothers and sisters. And they took them all in. Right, so now their family blew up to five, and uh, so bonds they know how that works, right? And they uh, took them all. And at the time, uh, the pastorate at Trout Lake had ended, so they wound up in Helena because they couldn't leave the state of Montana because you can't take children out of state, right? If it's foster care, so they had to wait till they were fully adopted. And they've been praying what they should do and that kind of stuff. And Jeff is a real entrepreneurial. Um, gadget tinker likes to do things and and kind of struggles in the traditional church settings likes that people are trying things outside the box and uh, so they got extremely attracted to uh, a group of people in florida who are doing kind of this whole community thing they work and live together kind of deal and it's a a great group of jesus people just trying something different out of the box and jeff was really interested because he also is into uh, hydroponics and uh, fish farming. And so he built his entire setup himself and, and uses that to make money. And so they decided that once the kids were adopted, they took a look, they came out here, they talked to me, they talked to a couple people, and then they decided to bolt and, and go to Florida. And so uh, just last year, they moved, took everything from Montana, and they headed down to Florida. Um, and you can imagine the weather change from Florida to Montana. That was quite a shock to their system. But they found themselves in Florida. And then in the midst of this, um, Lori, uh, well, there's one other piece. The the place was great, but it just wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be. And they didn't fit in the way they thought they would. It didn't quite sink. And it wasn't the people in Florida's fault. It wasn't really Jeff and Lori's fault. It just didn't sink the way it looked it was going, like it was going to sink when they decided to make the move. And so they were kind of baffled about that whole deal. And so Lori uh, caught a flight. There was a family celebration. She came back out here. Her mom and dad live in Oak Harbor. Her one sister lives here in Seattle. The other sister lives up in Bellingham. And so they came out and they were hung together. And while Lori was here, they kind of had a come-to-Jesus meeting, uh, which wasn't fun for Lori at all. But the family sat her down and said, Hey, look, can we talk to you? Um, we, we've got a struggle and um, we want to talk to you about it. And basically what they said is, you know, we love you guys, but you guys just take off. Uh, you say the Lord wants you to do something and you just roll, but you never really ask us. You never really want our opinion. You never really... And so in a lot of ways, we, we really feel kind of abandoned by you. Um, we don't feel like we spend a lot of time together. We can't tag with the kids because you're across the country and first Montana, now you're all the way in Florida and it's really tough to get together. And uh, 
they said, um, we, we don't feel like um, our opinions even matter to you. And I was brutal for Lori to listen to because uh, you can just see Jeff and Lori come and say, hey, wait a minute. We're, you know, we're the missionaries. We're the pastors. We're the, you know, how, how come you're dumping this stuff on us? But uh, Lori also knew that there was a lot of truth to what they were sharing. And so she goes back to Florida and she sits down with Jeff and says, Jeff, we got to talk. we got to talk. And so they talked and uh, while they were talking, just like I got hit with the be warm and filled thing this morning, they got hit with another parable. If you take your, um, take your Bibles and uh, turn to, where am I turning to? Um, Mark chapter 7. We'll start with verse 6. Jesus was telling this parable and, and the Holy Spirit just lit them up on this. And basically, the story is Jesus is talking and he says this, Well did Isaiah prophesy, or prophesy of you hypocrites as is written, this people, honor me, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, this is Jesus, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever would have been gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, and thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do like this. And Jeff and Lori were stunned. He said, we were just blown up. He said, I know you've been there before, Mitch, but we just got caught in the crosshairs of that thing and realized God was talking to us specifically about our lack of respect for our family, a lack of respect for our parents, kind of this wall of pride that we hadn't really seen because we were the ones doing God's will. How could anything be wrong? And so they're sitting there wrestling with this and they, they decide that they have to go back home. Now realize they just moved from Montana to Florida. It's been a several months and now they decide they have to come back from Florida to come back here. And like I said, coming back home isn't easy, right? Let me just walk you through the journey that they've just been through uh, in the last three weeks. Um, now, a couple things. First of all, they had no money, right? Because they had spent all their money moving from Montana to Florida. I don't know if you've ever done a move like that, but you aren't exactly flush once you do something like that. And then the second thing is that um, it's kind of the wrong time of year to make a cross-country jaunt across especially when you get to the mountains and you're coming across the Rockies right trying to get back to Seattle that's uh, that's the only way to get there from Florida right so it's kind of the wrong time of year and they don't have much of a pocketbook and they're like well maybe we should stay a couple months and and they just knew they knew what they had heard from the Lord right do you, you ever been in that place where you just know and you can think of ways to get around it but you know what the Lord's asked you to do they they knew they were supposed to go and so, um, so they packed up, they got their stuff ready, and uh, knowing what they had to do and knowing it wouldn't be easy, 
they started out on their trip. Now, also I want to note in this, Jeff is an excellent mechanic. He is a fix-it man. He is a guy who can look at something and it's broken. He can tell you how to put it back together. And uh, he's really creative with engineering things and stuff like that. So he's uh, no goof when it comes to this kind of thing. And he knows how to put that kind of stuff together. So he gets them ready for this trip. And for the trip, they have a van and a trailer and then Jeff's work truck and then a newer trailer that he had bought for the trip that they loaded everything up on and they start the journey across. All right. One hour into the road trip, the tires uh, on the newer trailer, they look brand new and stuff, but the tires on the newer trailer uh, blew out. All right. And so they were pulled over to the side of the road. They had to go and take the van and drive and find and put new tires on this other trailer. And so that derailed them. Um, Six hours into the trip, the rims on the other trailer split, wrecking both the rims and the tires. So now the other trailer is down. The rims are cracked. They have to go get the rims welded and then put new tires. Jeff said on this trip, they went through seven tires, right? Just trying to, to get back. It gets better. Next, the trailer lights failed. Right? If you've ever been on a trip where the trailer lights are working, right? He's under trying to, I'm looking at Paul Porter laughing. And, right, you're trying to fix the trailer lights kind of stuff and, and doing that kind of thing. Well, they, they, and by the way, it's winter now, right? It's a little bit cold to be doing that. So they're trying to fix the wiring on the trailer. Then they got a little farther down the road and the trailer brakes gave out requiring a bunch more time as they tried to fix the trailer brakes. They now get to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Any of you been to Cheyenne, Wyoming? Any of you been to Cheyenne, Wyoming in winter? Yes, okay. Well, you got the story then, okay? As they are coming into Cheyenne, Wyoming, the Jeff's work truck overheats. And so they pull off to the side and they he says literally they went into a truck stop, pulled in the parking area, and one of the tires, the rim, fell right off the, the trailer. Right in the parking lot. Just plunk, and the trailer, thunk, like this. So they're sitting there. They have to try and fix the trailer. Then they go to a shop and they have to try and get the truck fixed out. They find out the truck has a blown head gasket and a blown exhaust gasket. All right? So they are now stuck in Cheyenne, Wyoming. They have no money. They don't know anybody. And they're in a truck trailer parking lot trying to figure out what to do. Oh, by the way, did I mention it's 17 below zero at this point with 15 and 20 mile an hour winds? They are more than a little distraught. Can you put yourselves in their shoes? They don't know what to do. And so they shoot out a prayer request on Facebook. Hey, we're making our trip back home. We've run into some problems and we're kind of stranded in Cheyenne. And uh, would you guys please pray for us? And this prayer request ricocheted around. I looked this morning on my phone. I, yes, I do know how to do that. And this uh, thread has been looked at by over 70,000 hits. Okay? And these things started ricocheting all over the place within the Christian community stuff. And one family over here has actually family in Cheyenne. And they said, hey, we got family. We'll call them up. They'll take you in. So they called Jeff and Lori up and they went and got them. And this picture that you see is Jeff and Lori in their house. 
uh, this family took them in for the week and fed them and gave them a place to sleep while the truck was getting fixed. And then Jeff said all kinds of people started sending money and stuff. And so we were actually able to repair the truck. And, and he says, we couldn't believe what we were seeing happening. He said, we were just humbled to death and awed at the same time and embarrassed and like, this is incredible. And then the truck got fixed. And so then they started coming across. He said, we're doing great. And then we hit Baker City, Oregon. Any of you know where Baker City, Oregon is, right? Well, when you come out of Baker City, Oregon and you head towards Pendleton, you hit what are called the Blue Mountains. And the Blue Mountains are notorious for the snowfalls that hit up there. And if you've ever read any of the stories of the Oregon uh, travelers and coming out, you know, the wagon trains and stuff, there's some famous stories about that. But... Um, he says, we came out of Baker City. He says, Steve, 10 minutes out of Baker City, we hit a wall of snow like you can't see, like semi-trucks are jackknifing all over the highway. And we're over on the side wondering now what we do. He said, we inched our way down the road. Uh, he said, it took us several hours and we finally came in this little town called Powder City. And have you been to Powder City? And, uh, and uh, we found this little ragmuffin hotel that we were able to stay in. And we got up the next day and this is when I'm actually talking to him. Um, and because Pam and I were trying to help and we couldn't find him, so we didn't know where they were. And uh, he's talking to me on the phone. He says, yeah, we can't get out because the freeway's shut down. I said, well, how long before it opens? He says, I don't know. He said, there might be a chance it opens this afternoon. And so they waited and sure enough, they opened the gates. They actually have gates there to let you, you can or not go on the freeway. And, uh, and they had to drive from Powdered City. You can go on a map and look at this. From Powdered City to Pendleton, 10 to 15 miles an hour the whole way. That was as fast as they could go without sliding off the freeway to get off. They got to Pendleton, finally dry pavement. They came rolling through. They went up to Bellingham. And in Bellingham, uh, his brother-in-law and, sis and uh, his sister-in-law and brother-in-law uh, have some friends. And one of these friends had an empty house they weren't using. And they said, well, hey, they can, they can stay in this house because... Um, I don't have anybody taking it right now and it would be nice to have somebody in there. And so they have this house that they're able to stay in. And then um, Lori's sister, Janet, and Meshach, her husband, told a bunch of their friends and before they got there, they went through the house and stocked the house with food and, and notes and scripture and all these little candy treats and stuff so that they would uh, have something for Christmas when they came home because they knew they had nothing. All right? That's a great story, by the way, isn't it? I got that story this week. Here's the point. Jeff will tell you it's the hardest and best thing they've ever done. And he said, unlike the other things, Steve, where I'm usually in control of the whole deal, he said, I had no control at all. He said, and yet never... He's, and he says, we've experienced God many times and in many ways. He says, it wasn't a, a doubt thing at all. But he says, never have we felt the nearness or the closeness of God's presence and love as we have in this move. He said, we saw things we never saw before. But the biggest thing is we saw our Father God the way we never saw Him before. And with that in mind, I'd like to bring this quote back up. You never go away from us. And yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, stir us up. Call us back. Kindle and seize us. 
Be our fire, be our sweetness. Let us love, let us run. And the question that I would ask this morning, are there any older brothers here this morning? Anybody who got all the right actions but hearts not close? Entirely possible, isn't it? Anybody here who's restless this morning? Anybody tired of performing? Just needs grace? Well, that's available to the older brother too, not just the younger brother. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've walked through the story, by the way, brilliant story. Brilliant story. You don't get enough credit for how incredibly precise and accurate your parables are. We give you great credit this morning. The truth is, Lord, that that may be some of us. And we want to just take a minute, just in silence, to let that set in and to let people do business with you. If you're tagged this morning, if the Holy Spirit tagged you and said, you know what? That's you. You're the older brother. Then just bring that before the Lord this morning. Say, I've got to let go of my anger. I've got to let go of my expectations. I've got to let go of my own righteousness. I've got to get back to what you provide. I've got to get back to you. Come back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. Take a minute and be with them. Lord Jesus, even though it's tough to come back home, thank you that you make it easy to come back home. Thank you that there's a way. Thank you that everybody uh, can find a way back if we look for it. And that you come out to meet both, both the younger son and the older son. And for that, we give you great praise this morning. And we celebrate Christmas because that's you stepping out of the door to come and meet us. And we are incredibly grateful. And we ask this in your name. Amen.